Heavenly Father, once again, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters in Messiah Yeshua to learn more about you, to read your word, to learn more about your word. Father, open up our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word, that we may know what it's trying to say to us, we can apply it to our lives, and uh, lead, guide, and direct us in the way that you would want us and have us to go. And Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Uh, well, one thing about me is, uh, I don't know if it's because I was kind of a semi-only child. I mean, I have brothers and sisters, but they were all older. So they were pretty much out of the house by the time I came along and, and all that. Uh, you know, so I pretty much was spoiled, pretty much got anything that I, that I wanted. Um, but at the same time, I kind of always had this fear or had this, this, this nagging feeling that I was going to be left out of something or that I wasn't going to get what was coming to me or that I was going to get the short end of the stick somehow. So I don't know where that came from or what caused that. But sometimes things like that leak into our lives as believers and influences the way that we live our life of faith. And Abraham gives us one of the greatest examples on how not to do that. And Abraham is such an impressive patriarch, such an impressive biblical character. Of course, he wasn't perfect. He was, he was a coward at times. He lied at times. But he had more faith than several of the biblical characters put together. I mean, uh, the group that, that met this morning, we talked about how God says, hey, Abraham, leave your country, leave your family, and just get going. I'll, uh, well, where am I going, Lord? I'll tell you when you get there. That takes faith to leave everything you know, to leave everything that you're familiar with, and not even knowing where you're going to end up. That's faith. That, you know, to, that's crazy faith. And so here we have another example of Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 13. And this is, this is kind of the story of Abraham and Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Lot's father was named Haran, and it says that he died before his father Terah, uh, and I think it was in the land of the Ur of the Chaldees, if I'm not mistaken. But there's a legend behind that. There's a legend that uh, Nimrod was kind of ruling the world at that time, and uh, that he didn't he he considered Abraham a threat, and was going to put Abraham in a fiery furnace. And Haran, well, was kind of believing the same way that that Abraham was, but somehow Abraham survived the fiery furnace, but Haran didn't. So Lot became an orphan. So it's uh, Lot uh, was sort of adopted. By Abraham. He was kind of like a, like a son. He was his nephew, but kind of like a son. So wherever Abraham and Sarah went, Lot usually tagged along. So we found, or we find when he left uh, his land and left his kinsmen, that Lot said, hey, I don't really have anything tying me here. You know, uh, you're, you're the closest thing I have to a father, so I might as well go with you. So Abraham and Lot were pretty close. They were pretty tight. But uh, both of them became rich. Now, back then, rich means that you had a lot of cattle, a lot of livestock. That's not what rich means today. When you're rich, you have a lot of money, you have a lot of big boy toys, you have a lot of things. But back then, wealth was, was the accumulation not only of land and property, but of livestock and cattle because you can make butter, you can sell milk, you can sell hides. 
you know, you can sell part of your, your, your herd so that somebody else can start their herd. I mean, there's just a lot of ways you can make money uh, from livestock. Well, when you have hired hands taking care of the livestock for you, it's like company loyalty, right? You know, somebody who works for Pepsi is not going to be caught drinking Coca-Cola, right? You're going to be loyal, you know, to the company you work for. If you work for the superstore, you're not going to be shopping at Sobeys. You know, I mean, there's company loyalty. So it's kind of the same thing. And so you, you have Abraham and Lot occupying this land, and they're basically grazing the same land where there's not room for the both of us, right? You've heard that. So Lot's herdsmen started getting to quarrels and fights with Abraham's herdsmen, mm -hmm. and it was causing conflict between Abraham and Lot. And Lot, uh, uh, Abraham was a peacemaker. He didn't want there to be the bad blood or strife in the family. So we find in Genesis chapter 13 that Abraham suggests, suggests they part ways. So in Genesis chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Now Lot, who was going with Abram, see, this is before his name was changed to Abraham, it was Abram, also had sheep and cattle and tents, so that the land could not support them living together because their possessions were many, and they were not able to stay together. So there was a quarrel between the shepherds of Abram's livestock and the shepherds of Lot's livestock. Now, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land then. So it was a pretty tight place. I mean, it was, uh, you know, neighbors on this side, neighbors on that side. There wasn't a lot of land for them to, to use because the Canaanites and the Perizzites were there. Sometimes they caused trouble for Lot and Abraham, you know, harassing the herdsmen, trying to steal, you know, property, things like that. So verse 8 says, So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between me and you, or between my shepherds and yours, since we're relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Please, separate yourself from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I'll go to the left. That's, that's being the bigger man. That's being the bigger man. Because, number one, Lot is the, or uh, Abraham is the patriarch. He's the older guy. He should have the right and the first dibs to whatever. I mean, he doesn't have to give Lot a choice. He could have just said, okay, Lot, you go that way. I'm taking this. But no. He wanted to make peace, but he also had faith in God that God was going to look out for his best interests and give him the best. Now, I don't always operate that way. I have a hard time believing that I'm going to get a good deal. I sometimes feel like maybe somebody's going to rip me off. I'm going to get gypped or, you know, some, I'm going to get the short end of the stick somehow. And I don't want to be, you know, the one that, that, that goes without. That's just our fallen human nature. And sometimes it's hard to put your trust in God that everything's going to work out when you prefer the other person. But that's the pattern that's established in the scriptures. Not that we're supposed to be a welcome mat or anybody to abuse us or take advantage of us. But at the same time, in the New Testament, there's scriptures that says that we are to prefer one another, that we are to put others first. And there's a cute little acronym that kind of goes along with this, that if you want to experience true joy in your life, you just take the letters J-O-Y, and it creates a priority list. Jesus, others, you. You put Jesus first, you put others before you, 
and you put yourself last. Now, I don't know about you, I get pretty excited when I get a package from Amazon. I get pretty excited when somebody gives me a gift. But I've learned the older that I get that that saying is true. It is better to give than to receive. I, I mean, I remember when I quit my job at the superstore. The, 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 the first thing that came to my mind is, oh, no, I won't be able to give to that missionary. And I thought, wow, that, that's new. You must be growing up, Chris. You must be maturing. Because usually I'd be thinking about other things. Oh, no, how are we going to pay bills? Or, oh, no, how's this going to get done? But I thought to myself, oh, I won't be able to give to this missionary. Because, you know, I found this missionary who's from, I think, somewhere out west in Canada. And he's, he went to Kenya, married a Kenyan woman, had a family, and now they run an orphanage. And so, like, he gives video updates all the time about what he's doing. You know, and how they're taking care of the kids and how the compound's growing and how, you know, the mission's going and stuff like that. And so he's like really upfront everything that's going on. So it's a joy to give because you know what your money's going to and you could actually see your money at work. So I've learned that joy of giving, how, how good it feels to help somebody out. And that's the reward. I don't have to have something physical or monetary to, to, to show for something. That joy in my heart is priceless. It's irreplaceable. I mean, yeah, like I said, I get excited when I get a package from Amazon and get a new book or whatever, but the feeling that I get when I give to somebody else or I put somebody else first pales in comparison. But yet, even though I know this, my, my, my fallen nature still kind of rises up within me and wants to be first and wants to have the best. You know, I mean, when, whenever I'm at a, 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 a church potluck or, or, or a supper, I'm eyeing that, that pumpkin pie. And I'm like, I want the biggest slice, you know? So you're like, man, I, you know, I want to get to the table first so I can have that piece of pie instead of saying, no, brother, you, you choose first. There's still that fleshly part of me that still wants more for me. But that's just, that's, you know, just our fallen nature and the greed that we have to fight against all the time. But like I said, I'm really impressed with Abraham here because he, he told Lot, who's younger, and Lot was, was, was an inferior. Lot was his nephew and kind of like his adopted son. And yet he gives him first choice when Abraham had every right to choose first. He said, if you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I'll go to the left. I would have been saying, you know what? God promised me a son one day. And I've got to make the best life for my son. So forget Lot. I'm going to choose the best land because I've got to have my flocks and herds grow. I got to earn more money so that there'll be an inheritance for my son that God promised me. You know, Lot's young. You know, he can, he can scratch his way and, and make his way. And, you know, it'll do him a little good to have a little hard work and to have it rough for a little bit. But I'm getting old. It's never going to get easier for me. So I'm going to choose the easier path. Abraham could have done that. And he wouldn't have been wrong in doing that. But yet, he trusted God enough to say, you know what? Whatever Lot chooses, God's going to look out for me. Because what does Lot do? Lot does the logical thing. Lot does what you would expect him to do. He picks the best and finest land, the luscious, greenest property. So where does that leave Abraham? Abraham doesn't seem worried about it. So you see here, Lot lifted up his eyes 
and saw the whole area surrounding the Jordan was well watered in its entirety before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like God's garden, like Adonai's garden, like the land of Egypt till you come to Zohar. So we're talking about this place, this, this Jordan plain, this, uh, um, yeah, the Jordan plain, looking at this and seeing that it is lush, it is green, it is flourishing. Okay, so he's going to have plenty of food for his livestock. He's going to have plenty of water for his livestock. So why wouldn't he choose that? But you don't, you don't read about or get the impression that Abraham says, oh, darn it, that's the one I was going to choose. I need that more than he does. Abraham wasn't worried about it, which blows me away because the fallen, fleshly, insecure part of myself would be like, I've got to look out for number one. Nobody else is going to look out for me but me. Lot's young. He can, he can, he can make his way. He's got to learn the hard way anyway, but he didn't do that. So Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the whole area surrounding the Jordan was well watered in its entirety before Adonai destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like Adonai's garden. So it was like the Garden of Eden. That's how good it was. Like the land of Egypt till you come to Zohar. So Lot chose for himself the whole area surrounding the Jordan. Lot journeyed to the east and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Ah. That might be a clue right there. Because God not only promised Abraham a son, he also promised him the land of Canaan. And the land of Canaan was a big old space. And it was probably, I mean, there was areas that was probably more lush and, lush and greener than what Lot chose. Because this Canaan land, another name for it, is the promised land. Not only was it promised by God, but it's the land of promise. Because there's so many promising things, it's so full of potential. So maybe possibly that might be one reason that Abraham wasn't too worried about it. But it says that Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the valley. He didn't even, even, even he didn't end up using the land anyway. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you know, he first thought, okay, I got to take care of my livestock. I got to take care of my flocks and my herds. So this is the best, it's well watered, it's, it's lush and green, plenty to eat, but he doesn't, he doesn't use it for that. It says Lot journeyed to the east and then separated, and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities. There's no livestock in the cities. I mean, you know, have you ever been to, to Toronto or Quebec? Did you ever see a flock of sheep running around in the streets of Toronto? or in Montreal, no. So it says Lot dwelled in the cities of the valley and he moved his tent from place to place near Sodom. In other words, he got closer and closer and closer to Sodom. He's like, man, looks like they got it easy in those cities. looks like they got everything that they want. And you know what? They don't even have to deal with smelly sheep or smelly animals. Man, may, may, maybe, they, maybe they've got something there. So I don't know what happened to Lot's livestock. I don't know if he sold it. I don't know, you know, and if he sold it, he probably got rich from selling it. I mean, who knows? But it looks as if he was itching for that easy life in the city because everything that you need or want is convenient right there at your fingertips in the city. So it says that Lot dwelled in the cities of the valley and he moved his tent 
from place to place near Sodom. Now, the next time we read about Lot, we don't even read that he has a tent. He packed up that tent and it looks like he never used it again. So, so much for choosing the most lush and greenest and well-watered land. You know, where's Lot's logic? And verse 13 says, but the people of Sodom were evil, very great sinners against the Lord. So he might have had an easier life, but it wasn't the best thing for him. Now, here we have that issue again, where it looks like Abraham may not be getting the best deal because he let Lot have first dibs. And we, we already discussed what Lot chose. He chose the greenest, the, the wettest, the, bettest, the bestest. <laughs> the bestest. Yeah, he chose the best. And here, Abraham still left with the land that they were at, which was already grazed over by not only his livestock, but Lot's livestock. But yet Abraham wasn't worried about it. So on the surface, it looks like Abraham got the short end of the stick because he let somebody else go first because he gave somebody else first dibs. Oh, too bad, too sad, you're out of luck, right? It's like that first come, first serve. If you don't come first, you're not gonna get served. The early bird catches the worm kind of thing. But what happens in chapter 19? Chapter 19, we're gonna read about that same place that Lot said, ooh, this is the greenest, this is the wettest, this is the bestest. You know, we're gonna see what happened to that. And we're gonna see that Abraham didn't get the short end of the stick because in Genesis chapter 19, beginning with verse 27, so this was after the whole ordeal where God actually came down with two angels with him, and they were in the guise of humans, and they came to visit Lot. Now, this is a whole story in and of itself. So when, the, when God and the angels came to visit Abraham, guess what happened just three days prior to their visit? Abraham, in his 90s, got circumcised. And the third day of the circumcision is the most painful. See, later on, we'll see Jacob and his sons pull a scam on the land of Shechem because the prince of Shechem saw one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah, thought she was hot stuff, and kidnapped her and raped her. And his brothers were like, uh, no, you're not going to treat our, our, our sister like a whore. I was like, oh, we'll, 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 we'll make it right. We'll have a shotgun wedding. We'll, we'll become one people, one big family. It'll be all right. And they said, well, if that's really the way you want it, you got to circumcise yourself. If you want to be a part of us, you got to get circumcised. Sure, no, pro no problem. Whatever the bride price, even if it's circumcision, that's great. So the entire people get circumcised. And three days later, Shimon and Levi go in and wipe out the entire male population of Shechem in retribution to what they did to their sister. And it says that they came in the third day, which was the most painful day of circumcision. So Abraham is not having a great time when God decides to show up to visit. You know, I mean, Abraham could have been in his right to say, oh, Lord, uh, I'm really, I'm really honored that you came and visited me. Uh, really, I am. And you even got brought a couple angels with you. I, I'm really honored, but ooh, can you come another day when I'm feeling a little bit better? Because I, I'm sorry, I probably won't be a, a great host. No, Abraham didn't do that. Abraham didn't make excuses because he wasn't feeling the best. 
And Abraham is known in Christianity, in Judaism, and in Islam for his hospitality. That's how you mark yourself as a child of Abraham is being hospitable because he lived in an area where it was, you know, uh, there was a lot of travelers. So the tradition is, is that he opened up the four corners of his tent so that he can see the entire horizon, the 360. And whenever he saw travelers, he would invite them in. He would wash their feet and he would provide a meal. And then he would get to witness to them about the one true God of the universe. So Abraham was essentially was the first evangelist, was the first missionary. So when God and his angel entourage show up, what you read in that text is that Abraham made haste, Abraham ran, Abraham hurried. That's a pretty big deal when you're three days after a circumcision in an extreme pain. He didn't make excuse. He didn't hobble along. He rushed to serve God and, and his angelic entourage that came. And he, he just put a big spread, a big feast before them. And he was there standing like a waiter, like anything you need, you just tell me and I'll let you know. So actually the tradition is, is that the reason that God showed up wasn't for a free meal, was just to check on Abraham, how he was doing after his circumcision. It was a hospital visit, but yet Abraham turned it into a party and he served the Lord there. So that's another lesson to us. And it's a whole sermon in and of itself. So after, you know, this visit, God breaks it to Abraham. Says, Abraham, me and you are really close. We've built a really good relationship over these past few years. I consider you a friend. So I'm not going to keep from you what I'm about to do. You see, you see those cities over there? You see Sodom and Gomorrah over there? And all the cities of the plains, not just them, but all the cities of the plains. Yes, Lord. They're toast. Fire and brimstone, we're going to just level it. But, 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 but Lord, surely you wouldn't do that if there were like 50 righteous people there. He's like, oh, well, you're right. You're right. I'm not, I'm not that kind of God. If I find 50 righteous, <clears throat> I'll spare the city. So then begins this game of let's make a deal. So he starts bartering with God and he starts saying, well, Lord, uh, please don't be angry with me. Let me just speak one more time. And he whittles it down to 10 people. What if there's 10 righteous people out of all those cities? For 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. But sadly, God couldn't even find 10 righteous people. Probably the only righteous person in that whole place was Lot himself. And we give Lot a bad time because, oh, he decided to live in the city where it's wicked. Well, that might have been a bonehead move on his part. But Peter says in one of his letters that their bad behavior grieved the righteous soul of Lot. Peter called him righteous. And you know what? Lot had a plan. It's not just that he was enamored with the city life. He had a plan. I think he was going to get in, I think he wanted to get involved in politics. I think he thought to himself, if I can get in there and get into the political system, I can change things through legislation. Because one of the reasons that, uh, you know, uh, um, the men were destroyed of Sodom and Gomorrah is that when the men came to, the, to, to uh, Lot's house where he was housing those angels and they were under the protection of his roof, said, look at this guy. He's a stranger and he come among us and he's going to be our judge. He was a judge. Because where did the angels find Lot when they came to the city? It says that he was at the city gate. He wasn't taking tickets or checking passports. That's where judges sat and ruled in big cities in ancient times was at the city gates. So it's a hint that Lot was a judge. 
But Lot soon discovered you can't legislate morality. You can make all the laws you want, but if they're not obeyed, it doesn't do any good. So these people, you know, they may be keeping an outward appearance of the law, but their hearts are, it's not changing their hearts. So don't, don't be too harsh on Lot. But even though that Lot may have been the only righteous person, God still destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities of the plains, but he spared Lot and his family. So we pick it up in Genesis 19, starting at verse 27. It says, Now Abraham rose early in the morning to the place where he had stood before Adonai. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the entire land and the surrounding area, that area that was well watered, that area that was green and lush, that, that area that was prime real estate for livestock. And it says, and saw, behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke from a furnace. Boy, I bet you Abraham was glad he gave Lot first dibs now. <laughs> so it was as God destroyed the city surrounding the area that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had dwelled. So. Abraham still came out on top, even though he gave Lot first dibs, even though he preferred Lot and actually Lot logically chose the better deal. Abraham ended up not getting the short end of the stick because what ended up happening to this lush green land that Lot chose, it became scorched earth. It was burnt to the ground, good for nothing, and still to this very day, it is not good for anything because the salt and sulfur content of that area is still so high after thousands of years, nothing grows there. So Romans 8.28, we all know what that says, don't we? Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good. For them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's all a part of being mature as a believer. That's all about being mature in the faith is when you can get to the point that say, you know what? I really want this for myself, but I would rather have my brother or my sister to have it. I'm not going to worry about it. God is going to take care of me. God is going to provide for me. I'm not going to get the short end of the stick. Love your neighbor as yourself? Well, if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you would want your neighbor to have what you yourself would want. Maybe that's what Abraham was thinking. I would love to have this lush land. And if I had my choice, I'd probably pick it. Let's see if Lot picks it. And he did. He, he, he loved his neighbor. He loved his nephew, his adopted son Lot, as himself and gave Lot what he probably himself would have wanted. And Abraham made the right call because, like I said, I just read what ended up happening to that land. Abraham would have been in financial ruins if he would have ended up chosen that land and Lot went the opposite direction. Because nonetheless, God would have still destroyed that area. And then where would Abraham be? His, his, his cattle and his flocks would have been lamb chops and sirloin on that scorched plain. The water would have been too salty for the animals to drink and there would have been no more grass. He would have been bankrupt. And all because Abraham 
was brave enough, smart enough, and loved the Lord enough and loved Lot enough to allow him to have first dibs and trust that the Lord was going to watch out for him. You know, nothing is as it seems. We think as human beings, we know what's best for us and we know what we want. But sometimes when we choose things, it doesn't always end up the best way. Like, you know, maybe, maybe somebody is selling a property, a building on this property, and it's stupid cheap. And you're like, man, I can do so much with this building. I can't pass this up. And you end up buying it and find out that it's full of asbestos. All the money that you just spent on buying that property, now you have to put in for asbestos removal, and you're in the hole. You're in the red. It's, it's like the time when my wife said, ooh, I want this smart crock pot. I, I mean, I could do so much. I could bake bread in it. I could make meat. I, there's so much more than just crock, pot, crock potting. Well, it was so complicated, she couldn't even figure it out, and we ended up selling it. Because, you know, she thought it was the best thing for her, but it wasn't because it was too complicated to work. It's like a doctor that I know. And, you know, doctors have pretty deep pockets nowadays, right? This doctor, he bought the top-of-the-line Jeep with cash. Guess what ended up happening? <laughs> it ended up being a lemon that he had to go through court case. He was, Like, his story was even on, I think, CTV or CBC or whatever. You know, and he had nothing but trouble because he chose what he thought was best for him. And he ended up getting a lemon and just, it was a, it was a, a world of hurt and a headache. I remember seeing this, this manly soap. And I was like, ooh, this looks good. It was all like brown and black marbly. It had a nice design to it. And oh, it smelled so good. And I thought, man, this is going to be the best soap. But guess what? I bought the soap and used it. And after a couple times using it, the whole veneer of it came off and it was just regular white soap underneath. Didn't even smell the same anymore. And I'm like, man, I got ripped off because I'm choosing what I think is best. And I ended up getting the short end of the stick. And you know, this may sound a little crazy, but there's nothing trivial with God. God cares about every aspect of our life and every decision that we make. And sometimes we get so confident in our decision making or we think god doesn't really care and we start making decisions on our own and by ourselves, and we end up making stupid mistakes as a result and there's stories in the bible like for instance when joshua was conquering the land of promise there's this tribe that actually lived pretty close by that said man we're gonna get wiped out we need to make peace with these guys but god says no 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 don't make peace with them so what did they do they disguised themselves and dressed up in foreign clothes, ratty clothes, they ended up, you know, getting, they ended up uh, making, uh, getting their wineskins really old to where they wouldn't even hold wine anymore. And they put old, moldy, dried, hardtack bread in their sacks. And they came in and say, see, this proves we're from far, far away. You don't even know who we are. Please make peace with us because we know you're coming our way and we want to make peace. And Josh is like, oh, well, yeah, it's logical. Your, your, your clothes are worn out, your, your, your wine skins are busted, all your, your bread. Because they said, yeah, it was fresh baked when we left. Now look at it. He didn't even bother to say, wait, Lord, should we be making this deal? And they ended up getting the, the, the raw end of the deal because they didn't put God first in their decision making. It ended up happening. It ended up okay. 
I mean, it was a big headache at first because they realized they were a tribe nearby. And it's because they made peace with this tribe nearby. The other tribe says, oh, you're traitors. Now you're with the Israelites, so we're going to attack you. So what did the Israelites have to do? They had to protect these guys because they just made a pact with them. But they ended up becoming the servants of the Israelites, being their wood choppers and water carriers. So it ended up working out. It was God's plan B. But that goes to, that goes to show that, okay, number one, like Abraham, we should prefer our brother and sister before ourselves. It's easier said than done. It's not always easy to practice. Second of all, we should bring every decision we have before the Lord. Even if we think it's not a big deal or trivial, God sees the bigger picture. He sees what we don't see. And if you follow his word and follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, he will never steer you wrong. And you will always come out on top. Now, you may not think that you may, may not always come out on top. Because, heck, how many times have we played the lottery and how many times have we won? I'm not a millionaire. How, God, how can you be on my side? You know I can do a lot of good with that money. I can get out of debt and then I can start funding all these other missionary endeavors and put it into ministry. And God's thinking, no, 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 no. I know exactly what you would do with the money. And it's not all those things that you said. But God, I'm in debt. Well, whose fault is that, right? So God doesn't always give us what we want or what we think we need because number one, it would be the easy way out for us and we'd take it for granted. Number two, if we had all that money, we probably wouldn't do all the things that the good things we said that we would do. Sometimes it'd go to our head. And how many successful lottery stories have you heard? I've only heard maybe two, three, maybe. Most of the time, people are, regret that they won the lottery. Oh, I found out who my real relatives and friends were then. Oh, nobody just wanted to hang around with me for my money. Oh, then this tragedy happened and that tragedy happened. You know, we think that we, we, we will have it good and we'll love this big life if we had all the toys and had everything that we ever wanted. But you know what ends up happening? We end up having more worry, more care, because guess what? If you own a property in Florida and own a camp downriver, guess what? You've got to worry about the insurance. Somebody going to break in. Somebody going to vandalize it. Somebody going to steal my boat. Somebody going to steal my pontoon. Somebody going to steal my skidoo. You have all these things that you have to worry about now. If you didn't have them, you didn't have to worry about You won't have to worry about them. One thing that I'll always remember my father-in-law saying, everybody who knew my father-in-law, you know, Bob, Bob Eccleston, you know, talked like this. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be poor. I'm happy as a poor man. Because he knew that he didn't have anything to worry about. As long as his needs were met, he was a happy camper. And the older I get, the more I hate stuff. Because I realize I don't need it. About the only, th the only vice I have, and it's not a bad one, the only vice I have is I love books. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is education. That's a good thing. But still, sometimes Pam thinks I buy too many books. And maybe I do. <laughs> so that'd be about the only thing. But um, so because this was the Torah portion for this week, I felt led to, to, to speak on this because I think we can improve not only our personal lives, but the lives of everybody that we love and care and hang around with and consider a spiritual family if we prefer one another more than we prefer ourselves. And we, we give others preference and others the choice and believe that God is going to provide for us and always have a giving heart. And Abraham is our prime example. And the apostles end up following up with that by saying, yeah, prefer one another, prefer your brother and sister, put them first. 
Because if you do, then you're going to be trusting God. You're going to show your faith and you're going to truly fulfill that commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, I would want that. So I'm going to give it to my brother or sister. Ooh, I'd really want that. But you know what? I'm going to give it to my brother and sister. And what I found out when I practice that, and I'm not the best at it, I'm still learning, I'm a novice, I'm definitely not an expert, I want to get better at it, but I've learned that when I do, God ends up giving me what I wanted anyway, most of the time. If I prefer my brother and sister and give them what I know that I would want myself, God ends up giving it back to me somehow, some way, in an unexpected way, and then it brings me to tears to think, God... You really care. You really love me. You really know my heart. And if he knows it's the best for me, it's, he's going to bring it to me anyway. So when you, all, when you think you're choosing the best deal for yourself, always remember Abraham. Because you may not be choosing the best deal for yourself. You may end up getting a raw deal by choosing the best for yourself. Because if Abraham would have chose what Lot chose, he would have lost everything because it ended up getting destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah anyway. And Abraham ended up getting the better deal nonetheless. All right, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. No raw deal for God's people. Heavenly Father, what we're speaking about tonight. Oh, I, I feel almost like a hypocrite talking about this because I'm not the best at following my own preaching or my own advice in this area. I must have some soul wound or trauma from when I was younger to where I'm afraid that I'm going to be without. Or maybe it was because my parents who grew up around, grew up poor, grew up barefoot, grew up with hand-me-downs, and grew up not always eating three meals a day. And maybe I kind of learned that or got that from them that there was always this fear of having scarcity or a fear of being without. So I have to constantly fight my fallen nature not to be selfish, not to choose what I think is best for myself, not to hoard for myself and then let somebody else be without. I want the bigger slice of the pie. I want the bigger slice of the pizza. But Lord, the older that I get, the more you're teaching me that it is so much better and it is so much more blessed to allow the other guy to have the bigger slice, to, have, to let the other guy to have first choice because it is truly blessed to give than to receive. And we serve a giving God. We serve you, Lord, who gave everything. You, hold, you held nothing back from us. Matter of fact, you gave us your very breath. You breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. You gave a part of yourself to Adam, and he became a living soul. You gave him the best in the garden. You gave him the best of everything. And even when we squandered that best and didn't do our best with your best and ended up getting kicked out of the garden, what did you end up doing thousands of years later? You gave again. You gave your one and only son. I, there'd be no way I'd give my daughter to save somebody else's life. Not a chance. But yet you gave your only son to save our filthy, rotten, dirty souls. You are a giving God. And if we want to emulate you and be godly and emulate you and be godlike, we need to be giving people. And that doesn't mean that we're welcome mats, and it doesn't mean that people take advantage of us. But we need to be giving people because when we give, we show godliness. We show the love of God. And we show faith that, we're, that you're going to provide for us even if we give in order that we become without. There, I remember times when you've prompted me to give the very last bill in my wallet because somebody else needed it more than me. 
I think of my, I think of my grandfather. God rest his soul. My grandmother would get so mad at him because people would take advantage of him. He was a carpenter. He would sharpen saws for people and they'd end up not paying him. And she would get on to him, Henry, you need, you can't let people take advantage of you. He said, ah, well, Mammy, maybe they needed that saw sharpened worse than I needed the money sharpening the saw. Maybe they need to make a living from that saw. I'm not going to worry about it. God's going to take care of me. And you always provided for my grandfather and for my mom and for my family. So, Lord, help us to be like Abraham. Help us to be like Yeshua himself who gave and gave and gave and even instructed his disciples to give. We don't want to be a selfish people. That's what sets us apart from the world is we're not selfish. So help us to be a giving people because when we do, we're not only going to better ourselves, we're going to better our brothers and sisters and ultimately better the lost world as a result. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask and give thanks for these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.